Galatians chapter 5, and we will be uh, reading verses 16 through 26. Once you get there, you can stand and we'll read the section together. Galatians 5.16 I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another envying one another. Father, as we come to your text and you are leading us to verses 24 and 25 today, Lord, we pray that you would just keep our focus on Jesus and that we are his by grace, by his work on the cross, his perfect life, his perfect obedience. By by his grace through faith, we are saved and adopted into the household of faith and Lord anyone today that that would be them Lord we just pray you'd be working on their heart as the word is proclaimed and and Lord that those who are Christ even if today is that first day oh Lord that you would be teaching us how by the spirit we can keep the flesh crucified with its passions and desires Lord you know America you know 2016 Prineville You know each of our hearts and our lusts and our affections and our passions that are warring against the Spirit. We pray that you would bring gospel application to those things and be showing us how to have the victory in our homes and in our lives by the Spirit of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. This is the third week that we've been looking at this section of Scripture Uh, Last week we looked at the fruit of the Spirit, just heard that it did not record, and so I'm sorry, I might come in here by myself and pretend like I'm talking to a bunch of you guys so that we can have it recorded again. Well, that was Jeremy's idea, actually. (laughs) Anybody here? Okay. Uh, But today we're going to look at verses 24 and 25. Adam teased me that I'm not man enough to go into verse 26 too, but uh, for the sake of the morning and our time, we're looking at 24 and 25, but we want to get some of the immediate context there within the section that we just read. I just want to look at 
verse 16 and 17 real quick says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It's in Jesus that we are free. It's through his blood that we've been ransomed and purchased off of the auction block of slavery leading to death. It's through Jesus. It's in Christ that we've been free. Chapter 5, verse 1 tells us, stand fast in the freedom by which Christ has made you free. Verse 13 tells us that we've been called to freedom. That is in Jesus. That is in what he's done. But we've also seen in chapter 5, in this latter section of chapter 5, that it's through the Holy Spirit's work that we walk in victory and that we live in that freedom. That it's walking in the Spirit that brings victory over the lusts and the passions of the flesh. That recording did record a couple weeks ago, and I encourage you to go back and listen to it if you weren't here to kind of get the full uh, word from the Lord for us that day. But we're told to walk in the Spirit. After Jesus has redeemed us, after Jesus has ransomed us, after we've been born again by the grace of God through faith in Christ, then we walk in the Spirit. John Wesley said it means to walk in His guidance in all things, to live under the influences of the Holy Spirit. And to admit those influence fully into our hearts. To never resist him, but to always yield to his suggestions and to submit to him is walking in the spirit. And if we live like that, if we walk by that, we kind of joked and my home group was chuckling about it, that it's not hopscotching in the spirit. It's not leapfrogging in the spirit. It's not every other day in the spirit. It's not every other week in the spirit. But it's walking moment by moment in the Spirit, yielding and submitting to His guidance, to His promptings, to His power. Then there's victory over the lusts of the flesh. Verse 17 tells us that the flesh lusts against the Spirit or wars against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you submit to the teaching and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you're not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit of liberty and of love into holiness, you're not under the law. And then we looked for those two weeks over you know, the evident, plain, undeniable works of the flesh that lead to death. There's a whole list there. We do well to just go over them and ask the Lord to search our heart and search our ways and show us if there's any wicked way in us, if there's any work of the flesh that we are practicing, that we could repent of that, that he could lead us in the way of everlasting, as the psalmist says. And we see that contrary to the works of the flesh is a better name even, the fruit, not the works, but the fruit of the Spirit. And it's all one fruit. It's all there together, a fruit of the Spirit. Some say the fruit of the Spirit is love and that all these other wonderful virtues flow from love. The fruit of the Spirit named out there for us. And we do well as we looked last week to go through that list and to just pray if any one of those clusters of fruit are 
missing or small that we would just ask the Lord to grow us in those graces. The flesh and the spirit, they're in active conflict with one another. Active conflict. They're at war. They are pulling in opposite directions. They cannot have peace together. They cannot work together. They're at a deadly feud and it will always be that way. We're in error to think that we can help further God's cause and furthers God's kingdom and work out our salvation better through the fleshly ambitions and through fleshly tools and carnal knowledge, all of those things. The Lord doesn't need our wrath and our anger to help further his kingdom. Those things are at war against the works of the Spirit. Those things that the Holy Spirit produces. A guy named Albert Barnes wrote a couple centuries ago that if a man would yield his heart to the influences of the Spirit, he'd be able to overcome all of his carnal propensities. And it's because he resists that Spirit that he is ever overcome by the corrupt passions of his nature. Walk in the Spirit, we'll have victory over the lusts of the flesh. Resist the Spirit and the flesh will win. And so it's then that we come into verse 24 and 25 where we're seeing the way of Christian victory continued. The way of Christian victory continued. How encouraging that we are not hopeless in the battle, but by the indwelling spirit of the living God in us, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, we can have victory in the battle and we are not powerless. It's part of the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. That he didn't just save us and then ascend to heaven and leave us as orphans, but he sent the helper, the comforter, to dwell in us and be upon us so that we can have victory and power and have a, a way of Christian victory in the Spirit. And, and so we see, first of all, that the way of Christian victory is to be in Christ. To be in Christ. Look at verse 24. Those who are in Christ or those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh. Those who are Christ. It's those who are true Christians. And a couple chapters ago, in chapter 3, verse 29, we see, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you are Christ, then you are partakers of that promise, the same promise that Abraham had. First of all, that because he believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. That promise is the same for us today. We are heirs of his. We have that same, uh, we are his children if we also believe the Lord just as Abraham did. But then not only that, we're part of the lineage and the heritage of Abraham as well. We are his children if we are in Christ. We are true Christians. We are the ones to the promise is and that doesn't mean anything like God's done with Israel. We know God's not done with Israel. We know there's a remnant and we know one day all Israel will be saved. It's an exciting thing that God's still working and still doing. But in the meantime, the rejection of Israel, of the Messiah, meant the salvation went to the Gentiles. And now we who know Jesus, love Jesus, follow Jesus, celebrate the victory brought to us in Jesus. And so we make the, the Israelites jealous in our passionate relationship with Jesus. And yet we are 
children of Abraham. And even one day, all of Israel, they'll get to be children of Abraham too. Because the real children are those who are through faith in him. Those children are Christ's. And notice they have crucified the flesh. So victory comes, number one, by being Christ's. Secondly, by crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires or with its affections and lusts. Now you'll want to note the language that crucifying the flesh is not something done to us here in this verse, but it's something done by us in the power of the Spirit. This verse is not the same as Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And it's not even the same, rather it's distinct from Romans 6.6, knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. That is something that is done at the moment of our salvation. It's something that's done to us by God. But what we have here in Galatians chapter 5 verse 24, those who are Christ's have crucified. We see that this is something done by the born again, spirit indwelt, spirit empowered Christian. They crucify the flesh. Just as Romans 8.13 says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so praise the Lord that in the gospel, we have been crucified. Our old nature, the old Rory, and the old, you can insert your name if you're born again, crucified with Christ and there's a new life and the life that you live now you live by faith in the son of God but we also praise God that by the power of the spirit we who are in Christ have crucified the flesh by the spirit Romans 8 13 says you put to death or you maybe you're reading a King James version today and it says you mortify the deeds of the flesh. You kill the deeds of the flesh. You murder the deeds of the flesh. It means more than embarrassing the deeds of the flesh. It means to slaughter, or the real language is to cold-blooded murder the deeds of the flesh. And I like the, the King James here, mortify the deeds of the flesh. And the reason is because back in 1996, just when I was coming of age, uh, 15 years old, I went to my first high school summer camp. And the Holy Spirit just moved in a mighty way the first night in this old rusty cabin with one light bulb, uh, rusty bunk bed, the rust would fall down in my face. But we just, about 10 of us high school guys got together, we just started praying and the Lord just met us in that cabin. And we were confessing sin and we were confessing the lusts of the flesh. And my youth pastor opened up to Romans 8.13. And he talked about if we live according to the flesh, we'll die. But if by the Spirit we mortify the deeds of the flesh, we'll live. 
And just to remind us as young men that daily we need to mortify the flesh and keep it mortified. And that kind of developed a, a term at that camp that the, that the boys started saying. Mortify. And any time the flesh started rising up and trying to gain the upper hand in our life, and of course, we're a bunch of little 15-year-olds at a camp with a bunch of cute girls walking around. So about every five seconds, you'd hear someone go, Mortify! 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 And I'm not even kidding. It was like that. We're in the lunch line and you're slopping it on there and mortify. You know, someone over there is mortifying, you know. You don't even want to know how many mortifies you heard at pool time. Over there on the field, mortify. Needless to say, the, the young gals in the youth group didn't appreciate our uh, crucifixion of the flesh there at church camp. And we may not have been entirely right in the way we were doing it, but... The language is that there is a deliberate putting to death. A deliberate putting to death. You know, my grandpa was a B-17 bombardier back in World War II. Flew 32 missions. You know, only 10% of the men would survive the battles that they went through. And, and he actually, tomorrow's D-Day. I was telling my kids, you know what D-Day is? And I'm just like, okay, whatever. We're going to have that lesson. Today's the Lord's Day. Tomorrow's D-Day. Okay, uh, also the Lord's Day. But he flew on D-Day, uh, and if you know the history, you know that there was cloud cover over Omaha Beach, and that the bombers had to drop their bombs, and they met, and they just, oh, they just felt so horrible because they didn't help the landings and all of that. But my grandpa was the lead bombardier of his entire squadron, and they were all sent during D-Day to go over the Cotentin Peninsula, where the Germans had these giant railway guns. Uh, that were blasting our troops on Utah and Omaha Beach. And my grandpa was sent as the guy that everybody dropped their bombs on my grandpa's command to go and to bomb this railroad and to bomb the landing strips in the area. And as they went along, uh, there's a calendar made of my grandpa's bomb run. And you can see as he's going along, there's the railroads and there's the provision of the enemy right there. And then they drop, you know, I don't even know how many hundreds of bombs that were dropped. And then there's the pictures of the aftermath. And there's no railroad tracks. There's no way for the enemy to get his supplies to the beaches. There's no way for them to bomb our troops uh, through those railroad lines. And it's just a picture of a deliberate slaughter of any provision of the enemy. And that is something that's a picture of what we are called to do as Christians in mortifying the flesh. We see the lines of the enemy. We see their landing strips, you know, where they're taking off. We see where they're bringing, and we just put it to death. Just absolutely obliterate it. My grandpa won an award or a medal for the, the leading of that from the French. The French Croix de Guerre, they called it. The Cross of Honor. And so with that, we too, who are in Christ, there's to be deliberate mortifying of the flesh. It speaks of violence, that we need to be violent against sin. And whenever I say this, you got to understand that there is a by the spirit behind this, by the power of God, because we're already born again, because of what Jesus has done. We do this by the spirit, Romans 8 tells us. But the language speaks of violence against sin, crucifying the flesh with its passions and lusts. And maybe you might just make a little note, maybe you got a piece of paper, and you might be thinking of that evidence of the flesh that we read through. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, and the, and the things that are there in that list. 
And you might be thinking about how, you know what, the enemy has a railroad track right into my life that he's bringing his provisions and his supplies and I'm just losing in the battles against the flesh. And man, like, it's time to bomb that field. It's time to bomb that track. It's time to end this. It's time to, as the language in our Galatians text is, crucify it. Reminding us of what Jesus did on the cross. Reminding us that we're called to take up our cross and follow him. Luther says they crucify the flesh with its evil desires and lusts by fasting and exercise. I don't think it so much means, you know, but exercises of crucifying the flesh. And above all, Luther says, by a walk in the spirit, not a hopscotch in the spirit, not a leapfrog in the spirit, a walking moment by moment. In the spirit, Luther going on, the res- to resist the flesh in this manner is to nail it to the cross. Although the flesh is still alive, it cannot very well act upon its desires because it is bound and nailed to the cross. And nowadays we've seen enough, whether it's Passion of the Christ or the movie Risen or whatever it is, you know, uh, Spartacus or, you know, whatever, where the guys are on the crosses, they're nailed there. And for some time, even days sometimes, they're still alive, you know, and they're still able to talk and they're still able to, you know, the thieves on the cross, we're still mocking and the thieves on the cross, we're ridiculing and, and that's our flesh so often. They're on the cross, not yet totally dead, still that old nature, still that flesh speaking out against us, but powerless when it's on the cross. From Stott, we're given a wonderful uh, tool in alliteration, that the Christian's rejection of his old nature is to be pitiless, first of all. It's to be pitiless. And again, that mortify language is to cold-blooded murder the flesh, to execute the flesh. The reason we see so much violence in the world is because people have not been violent with killing their sin. John Owen wrote the chapter on Romans chapter 8, in his book, in, in, in his commentary on Romans, and he writes, the prescription of the duty mentioned is the mortification of indwelling sin remaining in our mortal bodies, that it may not have life and power to bring forth the works or deeds of the flesh, is the constant duty of believers. It's the constant duty of believers. The ruthlessness of sin requires ruthlessness against sin. We see the enemy has the tracks coming in, the provision for the flesh. Even things that just seem so pleasing and so nice and so right. But you know, they take you down that path to letting the flesh have the victory. And they need to just be obliterated. By the power of the spirit, cut off, bombed. Shot, slaughtered, mortified. Mortification is a clear-sighted recognition that evil is evil. Calling sin, sin. I still remember uh, years ago, uh, we, were, uh, we had horses, and there was a guy that lived kind of near our church in Corvallis. And he's like, I got this property, and 
and uh, you know, there's the pasture, and uh, I want you to just come bring your horses here and let them stay here. He said, the only thing is it might be difficult uh, for you to be here with, um, you know, your horses and to come work on them, you know, as my wife's at home. And I just, man, I don't want anyone here at my house while my wife is at my house. And understandable, like the rule to have, right, husbands? And he just said, I just want to be real about what sin is and that sin happens and call sin, sin and call evil, evil. And it's just like, man, I've just seen too many things happen. I go, yeah, it's right. Like, it's just, I don't think that it's just a good idea to have horses around here and, you know, you're not here and I'd have to come trim the hooves and feed and vaccinate and just, just better not to. <laughs> we got other pastures, there's other grass. But I'll never forget the phrase of this guy named Chris. He just said, man, just evil is evil and sin is sin. And we just got to call it out and just not let it even have any provision in our lives. And I wonder if that's true for you guys today and for myself. To just see, you know what, we could skate around and get around and just, you know what, that's just evil. That's just wickedness. It's a clear-sighted recognition that evil is evil, lead, leading us to a decisive and radical repudiation, says Stott, of it that no imagery can do justice except to call it putting it to death. Putting it to death. Killing it. It speaks of an execution. Don't show it mercy because it will never show you mercy. The minute you start to kind of give it a ground in your life, it'll completely consume and take over you. Don't give it a second glance and think about how it kind of has some good qualities or remember the good times we had together. You've got to slay it. You've got to kill it. You've got to crucify it. John Owen went on to say, very famous phrase, but before the phrase he says, indwelling sin is compared to a person, a living person called the old man with his faculties and properties, his wisdom, craft, subtlety, strength. This says the apostle must be killed, put to death, mortified, that is, have its power, life vigor, and strength to produce its effects taken away by the Spirit. And then he goes on to say, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. As Paul said in Colossians 3, put to death your members which are on the earth. Put to death fornication. Kill it, murder it, slaughter it, execute it. Mortify fornication. Mortify adultery. Put to death uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Kill it. James 1 tells us that each one of us is tempted when we're drawn away by our own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. We see this process of sin, you know, of, of everything from temptation. And, and our desires kind of go, oh, I think I'd, ooh, oh, maybe I will give it a second. Oh, hey, oh, oh. And then it's when we go, oh, rather than no. It's when we go, oh, and we come to it. That desire conceives and brings forth sin. And sin brings forth death. 
the process of James tells us, man, the minute, the second, the flesh tries to just put a little bait in front of us, scream mortify. Scream it out. What's wrong with you? I don't know. There's something. He's trying to kill the flesh over there. Mortify! Do you hear some, something shattering, something breaking, something ripping, something on fire? Yeah, he's murdering the flesh right now <laughs> by the spirit. The minute the, the, the bait is set, call it out. Call it out. The minute it's set, kill it. Kill the thought before it becomes an action. Kill the action. Okay, you've, you've already sinned. You've, there's already been an action. Kill, okay, now kill the action before it becomes a habit. Okay, man, there's already a bit of a habit there. Kill the habit before it becomes a lifestyle. It already seems to be a lot. Kill the lifestyle before you die. Those who are in Christ. This is a message for believers today. You're saved by grace through faith. The spirit of God has indwelt you. You're not an orphan. You have the power of the, of the God that rose Jesus from the dead inside you. And he will lead you to crucify the thoughts, the actions, the habits, the lifestyles. Sin has been dethroned. And the spirit's work brings destruction. Our rejection of the old nature, Stott goes on to say, not only is it pitiless, don't you like that, pitiless? Oh, but it's just kind of, put it to death. And then it will be painful, painful. Crucifixion was a form of execution attended with intense pain. In fact, we get our word excruciating from the Latin word crucify, ex Cruciating means from the cross. And so when we crucify the flesh, it's going to be excruciating. It's going to be painful. Our rejection of the old nature, and these will tie together a bit, but it must also be dealt with decisively. Decisively. John Brown draws out the significance of this fact for us. He says, crucifixion produced death, but not suddenly. It was gradually. True Christians do not succeed in completely destroying it, the flesh, while here below, but they've fixed it to the cross. And they are determined to keep it there till it expires. Fix it to the cross. Crucify it. As Jesus would say, cut off the hand. Painful. But decisive, no? As he says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. And then he says, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Good thing it's not my hand causing me to sin, it's my foot. Oh, eh, Jesus got you there. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. 
You're going to those places, you're driving to those places, it's better for you to enter life maimed rather than having two feet to be cast into hell. And he quotes the same quote about hell. What about your eye? If your eye is causing you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes. Pitiless, painful, decisive action led by the Spirit. In fact, Romans 8, 13 Mortifying the deeds of the flesh, the next verse says, for many of those that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. It's the Holy Spirit in us that leads us to this action against sin. To cutting off a hand, even though it's painful, and maybe for the rest of your life, you won't be as efficient. Cutting off the foot, even though it might mean for the rest of your life, it was a painful thing, and the rest of your life, you won't be as efficient, and you'll have a bit of a limp. Plucking out your eye. You're not going to be the same. But you're going to live. What is the Lord impressing upon your heart needs to go? Who is she? Who is he? Who is it? Cancel the subscription. Burn the papers. Burn the magazines. Get a flip phone. <laughs> Move the TV out, you know, out of your rooms, for goodness sake. Put the computer in a public... This isn't, I'm not preaching moralism today, you guys. What I'm preaching today is spirit-led chopping off of sin in your life. Cutting it off. Shooting it. Mortifying it. Hebrews says, you've not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. Oh, I've just been, try, oh, I've been trying so hard. How hard have you been trying? And you know, I remember I've taught the Mark 9 passage many times, chopping off that. Don't really chop off your hands, people. Or do. You want to go to hell? You want your whole life to be spent robbing God of his glory because you're worshiping your idols? You, you've, whatever you're doing, you haven't been shedding blood to end the sin pattern in your life. Let's just quit watering it down. Kill it. I discipline my body, Paul said, and I give my flesh the black eye. We put discipline into everything else into our life. By the Spirit of God and the power of God, put it into your holiness. Know your enemy. Don't deny his existence. He is ruthless. He's out for blood. He never sleeps. You don't get a break from mortifying him. Know his weapons, lest Satan take advantage of you, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I know what you're trying to do here. It's not going to work. Know your weaponry. As 2 Corinthians 10 and Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I'm not teaching moralism here. I'm not teaching carnal, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I'm teaching the Spirit of God has given, uh, God and His grace has given the redeemed, Spirit-empowered Christian tools for victory in life. Owen again says that the choicest believers who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin ought yet to make it their business all their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin. What do you do for a living? I mortify sin. Every day, every hour of my life, that is my business. 
kind of a buzzkill at parties, aren't you? I don't go to parties. <laughs> it's not in my notes. I just Holy Spirit came from the Spirit. What is the power by which we kill sin? The Spirit. You could get sinful in your killing of sin if it's not by the Spirit. I'm sorry, but Owen, man, he's, he's got some incredible help for us when he says mortification from a self-strength carried on by ways of self-invention unto the end of a self-righteousness is the soul and substance of all false religion in the world. That's what Islam has. That's what the Mormons have. That's what the Jehovah's Witness have. That's what the Buddhists have. And that's what so many churches have. And it's no different. Where's the power there? It's anti-gospel. And so as we go to our different counselors that we want to go to, you have your ear open, people. Because guaranteed 90% of the time, the counseling you will get is self-strength, self-invention, to the end of your own self-happiness and self-glory. And that is the soul and stomach of all false religions in the world. Stott gives us good wisdom. The first great secret of holiness lies in the degree and decisiveness of our repentance. The degree and decisiveness of our repentance. Pitiless? Is it pitiless? Painful? And decisive. If besetting sins persistently plague us, it's either because we've never truly repented or because having repented, we've not maintained our repentance. And I got to tell you, I read this two weeks ago and it's just been in my mind all week. So forgive the list of quotes today. But he says, this is Stott. It is as if having nailed our old nature to the cross, we keep wistfully returning to the scene of the execution. We begin to fondle it, to caress it, to long for its release, even try to take it down again from the cross. We need to learn to leave it there. When some jealous or proud or malicious or impure thought invades our mind, we must kick it out at once. It is fatal. Begin to examine it and consider whether we're going to give, it in, give in to it or not. We've declared war on it. We are not going to resume negotiations. We have settled the issue for good. We are not going to reopen it. We have crucified the flesh. We are never going to draw the nails. Crucify the flesh is in the aorist tense. It means an, a past experience with a continuing activity. This is the daily action in the believer's life. Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is walking in the spirit. It's evidence of a genuine Christian experience. Saturday morning. They've been nice lately. Been making waffles. You guys know I love my waffles if you've ever been in my core group. Oh, and they're getting healthier. They're getting whole wheat in them. Yeah. Excited. And not only the waffles, that's not even what I'm excited about. It's been fun with the family, just making waffles. And, and you know, Lainey said, I think it was Lainey or Russell yesterday, he goes, what are we having for breakfast? I go, what do you think we're having? It's Saturday, isn't it? 
No, really, what are we having? Don't you remember? It's Waffle Day. And so Lainey says, oh, I want to come. I want to help. We got blueberries. We got chocolate chips we could put in there. Yeah. Oh, whole wheat. Finally bought some whole wheat. I'm like excited to have healthier waffles smothered in syrup. Yeah. <laughs> and I was remembered, you know, of, uh, of Paul Tripp in the book Instruments of the Redeemer's Hand, how he says that, oh, it's just so relaxing for him to come home from work and to just, just prepare a meal. And he just gets so excited about it that for him, it's become an idol in his life. And when his car broke down and his son needed a ride and he wasn't able to make that meal that day, that idol's being taken from him caused him to react in the flesh and in wrath to everyone. Oh, that won't be me. I've just got waffles here. And so, yeah, it's waffle day. It's Saturday. And oh my goodness, the flour's in, the milk's in, the oil's in, the eggs are in. And here we have something and Oh, it's, oh, I got it memorized. I'm like, oh yeah, baking powder. Out of baking powder. We're out of baking powder? <sighs> this is not going well. Oh, you know, I just feel my flesh start to bristle a little bit. Why, why can't we just have baking powder around here? <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> oh, don't worry. You can substitute baking powder. You can use um, cream of tartar. And baking soda. Okay, well, everyone has those two things in their house. Yeah, cream of tartar comes in a little can like that. Seriously? Then it dawns on me, who am I talking to? Seriously. Or, of course, cream of tartar comes in a one-inch can. Or, you know, I'm murmuring against the sovereign God of the universe. Of course it would be like that. Oh, sure it would. Yeah. You would do that, wouldn't you? You know how much I love waffles. And the flesh came out. In the meantime, the night before, I come out to get a drink of water and something's not smelling good in the kitchen. And I look over in the dog kennel and one of our chewinis. This is already going bad. You can see how the flesh reacts. Had a, like, had diarrhea. Okay, I'm just going to say it from the pulpit. Had diarrhea in the kennel. Oh, oh three, in the, three in the morning, he'll whine and whimper because he wants to go out. Oh, during core group, he'll whine and whimper because he wants to go out. Oh, but he won't whine and whimper when he's going to... Oh, of course you wouldn't whine. Okay. Then, while I'm awake, has two more messes in the kennel. Oh, all the other times you want out, but not... And I'm just telling you guys, you're Pastor Rory. <laughs> And as we sat down for waffles, just eat the stupid things. Okay? And the Lord is just reminding me of the flesh that has to die. And he's working on that. And I just had to cruise, like, I had, this was going to go on for the rest of the day this way, just so you know. And it had to die. It had to end right there. And just in prayer over the waffles, I just had to confess to the Lord and to my family, just the flesh was evident, as Galatians 5 says. That was evident. And I'm not trying to be like, oh, I picked the waffle story because that's nice and clean little. It was not pretty. My heart was really ugly. Even worse when the dogs were doing that. Okay? The dog. What, I don't even know which one it was, but they go, both got punished. But let me say... <laughs> Sorry, Sandy. She's not even laughing. She's like, that dog, I'm sorry. He deserves some grace and mercy. And so I'm just going to tell you. Okay, Dudley does this little thing where he goes. That's it. That's all he does. 
He can't talk. He's got to tell me something. He's got to say, hmm, okay? Oh, drives me up a wall. Can you just speak? Okay. The wrath comes out. The wrath comes out. The screaming. This is, sorry, Jeremy, I'm sorry. Forgive me, brother. The wrath comes out. And I just, I'm not going to go on this any longer except for this. Finally, one day, it was like last night, or day before yesterday, the wrath was coming out, and it just immediately the Lord said, that is not evidence of my spirit. And I just had to just confess outbursts of wrath towards a poor little animal that's just trying to let me know he's got to go outside. And just crucifying it. Because that was going to continue. And that life is, that's got to stop. It's got to stop. There's a lot of other things too, but I'm just telling you some things that, just this weekend. And what about you? What about you? What are your gods in your life? Your idols. You have to have them to have a good week or have a good weekend or have a good night. And, have a, and when they start getting taken from you, then the flesh responds. And the flesh comes out. You got to nail that thing up by the power of the Spirit. And because you've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. That's not you anymore. It's not you anymore. I don't want my agnostic neighbor to be hearing me screaming at my little Chawini dog and have him <laughs> reject Jesus once and for all because the pastor next door couldn't. How's he any different than me? Nail it. Crucify it. A ruthless, uncompromising rejection of sin. Nothing will make us more useless in the Christian life than playing around with sin. Than letting it have a spot. Than continuing to watch that show and read that book. The pictures of crucifixion. The great secret of holiness lies in the degree and decisiveness of my repentance. The degree and decisiveness of my repentance. It hasn't been the Holy Spirit who got up and turned off the TV or who walked out of the theater. He put the conviction in your heart and he gave the power. But you stood up and walked. Keller says, crucifying the sinful nature is really the identification and dismantling of idols. It means to put an end to the ruling and attractive power that idols have in our lives. And so to destroy their ability to agitate and inflame our thoughts and desires. These little idols that want to have the throne. They need to be tore down. Keller goes on to say, this is not just an intellectual exercise. We must worship Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit. Adoring him until our hearts find him more beautiful than the object we felt we had to have. As we do that, we will put to death our sinful nature, clearing room for the fruit of the Spirit to grow. What is the key? Walking in the Spirit. How do we walk in the Spirit? Worshiping Christ. Worshiping Christ. If we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit, verse 25 says. If we behave in the Spirit, let us hold to and follow the Spirit. 
In verse 18, we are led by the Spirit, which is passive. It's the same word that Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted. He was led into the Spirit or driven. And here we have an active, verse 25, walk by the Spirit. The idea is the Spirit has given you life. Now let him direct your steps. Or as the Revised English Bible has it, if the Spirit is the source of our life, let the Spirit also direct its course. Living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. The verb for walk means to be in line with the Spirit in this case. To hold to and to agree with and follow the Spirit. And the present imperative indicates that this has to be a habitual practice. We are in line with the Spirit. We can have the worship team come on up. Something that will assist us in our tearing down of idols and in our focusing of Jesus and worshiping Him so that our walk in the Spirit can be happening as Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. This will be a wonderful help in living by the Spirit, and walking by the Spirit. It'll be seen in our whole way of life, in the leisure occupations we pursue, the books we read, the websites we visit, the friendships we make. Older authors called this a diligent use of the means of grace. That is, in a disciplined practice of prayer and scripture meditation, in fellowship with believers who provoke us to love and good works, in keeping the Lord's day as the Lord's day and in attending public worship and the Lord's supper, in all these ways we occupy ourselves in spiritual things. Next week we'll look at Galatians chapter 6. My brethren, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. To that which a man sows, he will also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he will reap corruption. If he sows to the spirit, he'll reap everlasting life. This victory is within reach of every Christian. And to just close with a passage that ministered to me from Stott, for every Christian has crucified the flesh and every Christian lives by the spirit. Our task is to take time each day to remember these truths about ourselves and to live accordingly. If we have crucified the flesh, which we have, then we must leave it securely nailed to the cross where it deserves to be. Leave it at the cross. By the Spirit, mortify the deeds of the flesh. Let's close. You can close your Bibles and set them aside and just... I want to respond to the word today as we respond to the Lord. Lord, we see our
desperate need for a savior. Lord, without the spirit and without being saved by you and your grace, we are men and women of nothing but carnal natures. We thank you, God, for the freedom bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. He lived the life I couldn't live and he died the death I was supposed to owe. And through one man's righteous act, salvation comes to the whole world, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for dying that we could be free. We thank you through the blood of the cross we are washed and cleansed and justified. We thank you for the work of the Spirit given to those who would rest in you that brings victory in the day in, the day out, the early morning the 2.30 in the afternoon tired time, the, the times when we haven't eaten, the times that we're working late, the times that we're frustrated with life, that the Spirit can bring the victory. Can bring the love and the joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Thank you for the indwelling spirit. For the power to crucify the flesh, to leave him crucified. And Lord, you know this church, you know this culture, you know these men and women, you know where we've been picking at the nails and given that cross a second glance reconsidering how good those times with the flesh were and Lord we just pray that as your word has gone forth today you would just be giving faith to say no to leave it there to trust in you and your ways and Lord, that there would be a work of gospel redemption in this church. Where thoughts have given way to actions and actions have given way to habits and habits have given way to lifestyles and lifestyles right now, they're leading to death. And that Lord, even today, whatever process and part we're in and those sinful moments, Lord, that today would be the end of them. Your word has gone forth. You've spoken to your people. And Lord, that we do more than just know about crucifying the flesh, but Lord, you'd help us to live out that. During this last song, let's just let the Lord put 
his finger on areas of our life that have been compromised, have been playing with sin, have been letting sin have a living, active place in our hearts and our lives and our leisure and our homes and our marriages. Let's ask him, Lord, is there anywhere that a rival throne has survived in my life? As he shows you today, topple it over. Topple it over. By the spirit of God, topple it over. Mortify it. Kill it. Do as Daniel and purpose in your heart to no longer be defiled with the delicacies of this world. Because of Jesus, because of grace, because of the power of the spirit, purpose that, man, after we leave this place, these things end. And where you feel weak, cry out for mercy. Let's respond to the word today in this song.